You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody, it's Erin Carey, and welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. David H. Rosmarin. He is an associate professor at Harvard Medical School, a program director at McLean Hospital, and founder of Center for Anxiety, which services over 1,000 patients a year in multiple states. He's an international expert on spirituality and mental health, whose work has been featured in Scientific American, the Boston Globe, the Wall Street Journal, and the New York Times. Through his work as a clinical psychologist, scientist, educator, and author, Dr. Ross Marin has helped thousands of patients and organizations to live happier and more productive lives. His most recent book is Thriving with Anxiety, Nine Tools to Make Your Anxiety Work for You. And I'm so excited to welcome you to the show. Thank you for being on. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I think this is going to be such a good conversation because anxiety seems to be an epidemic. And you even mentioned that it's a new age of anxiety. What do you mean by that? It sure is an epidemic. Um, Even before the pandemic, uh, anxiety was on the rise during the 2010s. I mean, we're talking about a 30, 40% increase. And uh, since the pandemic, just in the last two, three years, a 50% increase in anxiety among teens and young adults and a 25% um, aggregate among all adults. So uh, these are these are very high numbers. We're talking about 70, 80 million Americans per year who have diagnosable levels of anxiety that are impairing them and causing significant distress and impairment. And something has to be done about it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that is it that we're more aware of it, that we're talking about it or has it has it always been this way? Or is it just different? Great question. I don't think it's only a matter of awareness, because if you look at objective levels of distress, including the number of people going on disability, the number of people who are engaged in non-suicidal self-injury where they're harming themselves and going to an ER because of that, the number of people who, the suicide rate, those levels have, have increased very substantially in the past five and then 15 years. Um, so we are seeing severe levels of anxiety um, you know, objective behavioral markers from public health. It's not just people having self-report. Um, but I think there's a pretty specific reason for why that's why things have gotten out of out of hand. Yeah. And what do you attribute that to? Well, it, it's interesting. You know, our greater awareness, as you alluded to a minute ago, Um, It's a double-edged sword. And on the one hand, there's greater mental health literacy, and I think we have a greater awareness. On the other hand, we are very quick to react emotionally. And from a medical perspective, the minute we have low levels of anxiety. And what ends up happening is we've turned small anxiety, which is normal, have heads healthy. It means that your fear system works. It's a sign of neural health and emotional health that you have a range of emotions, but we've turned those low levels into something to fear. And because of that, the minute I start to feel anxious, my body dumps adrenaline into my bloodstream and the anxiety cascades and gets out of control quickly. So the anxiety epidemic I think is because of our perception that low levels of anxiety are a problem when in fact they're not. Mm, That is so interesting. And is there like a, 
you mentioned the fear, but is there even an anxiety about having anxiety? Sure like we're anxious about being anxious. We are a hundred, we've turned anxiety into an enemy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it came from a good place. I think it's because we want to have more awareness and we want to um, be, be there for people who have, you know, truly dis- not just distressing, but debilitating levels of anxiety. And it's come from a place of compassion. But at this point, there are diminishing returns. You know, going just to a PCP's office, to a primary care physician, if you report having anything more than no anxiety, that's enough to warrant a a potential diagnosis and prescription of of medications. We've turned normal anxiety into into a diagnosis, into a disability. And and that's by and large not the case. Um, So that's what I think is going on. Gosh, that's so interesting. And I know we kind of talked before we started recording. I think we see things in a similar way to where even there seems to be an overpathologization of all sorts of mental health issues, which is a blessing and maybe a curse. And how would you explain that? It is a blessing in that we're more aware and that, you know, when people have severe symptoms, I don't think they're just thrust to the sides of society mm-hmm. anymore. And there's more mm-hmm. inclusion and the more uh, treatment and more access. For the, you know, vast majority of people, though, I think we're walking around self-diagnosing <laughs> all true. the time, all the time. You know, I, I myself have struggled with very significant anxiety mm-hmm. over, at certain points in my life. And the first thing that I used to do was to judge myself. Something's wrong with me to catastrophize. I won't be able to handle this, you know, ever in my life. Like things are going to go. And I had to rein it in the more I, you know, I used my professional training to, to realize that like this, there's a range of emotions that I'm going to feel. And sometimes when I'm super stressed or when I'm low on sleep Mm. or just sometimes I have a misfire of my fear system, it's going to happen that recognition is so helpful and I think has helped keep my own anxiety in check. And it's a strategy that I've used with my many patients and in my book, I think with, uh, with some important results. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned sleep. How much does that factor in? Huge, huge sleep. I don't know about you. I'm not the best version of myself without you know, seven hours on average, at least seven, eight hours mm-hmm. on, on average of sleep, seven and a half hours. Um, and, and it's cumulative, you know, one night I can probably hack it too. Sure. You know, but a week goes by and I'm going to be jazzed up and, and on edge. Now, does that mean I need benzodiazepines? Does that mean I need a, a Xanax prescription or does it mean that my anxiety is actually helping me to indicate that I have to regulate my sleep cycle and be a little kinder to myself and a little mm more self-compassionate and accepting of the limits that I have in this world. And then I can actually use that anxiety as a positive stepping stone to recalibrate, to rebalance, to Mm. reconnect, as opposed to turning it into a disease and chasing the elimination of it, which is not the right direction to go in. Yeah. Okay. So you're talking about using anxiety as a signal instead of something to just shove away and get rid of. So this is where things get interesting. (laughs) I believe that anxiety is not only normal and not only is it healthy in many indications, in many cases rather, but that it can be used as a stepping stone to have greater connection and thriving more in our lives. 
I like that as a stepping stone. Okay. So when you say connection, I know this is probably kind of getting more into our, into the book, right. And into all the tools that you discuss in the book. So I want to get into that, but I, I will pause right there because there is a quote from the introduction that I really, really like. And I think that this falls in line with that. You say that if we harness the power of anxiety, we can thrive in ways we never thought were possible. And you, told kind of a parable to explain that, which I loved as well. And you said, we should not sidestep anxiety or back up and deny that it's there, but rather stop and evaluate what is our anxiety trying to tell us? So that's what you're leading into. Yeah. And leaning in is the perfect word because often when people have anxiety, the first thing you try to do, control uncertainty, make sure you know everything, regain control over whatever it is, stop yourself from feeling that way, you know, breathe through it. Like I can't, I have to do anything except I can't feel anxious right now, as opposed to leaning into it, letting it wash over you, allowing yourself to experience. Nobody likes it. I don't like feeling anxious. This isn't fun. It's not fun, but it can help to allow you to understand what you need to do next. And if we force it away and we run away from it, I think we often miss those opportunities to move forward in ways that can be very beneficial. Yes, I love how you are reframing this. I think this is so important and your approach is, it's just everything that I've been wanting to hear about recently. So before we get any further into that, I wanna take a second and pause and thank our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by KiwiCo. Now, as a parent, it can be a little bit anxiety inducing as we enter the holiday season and I have to start thinking about gifts and what gift can I give my kids that's going to keep them engaged, it's going to keep them off their screens. And I love the idea of giving a gift that inspires my kids to learn more about something they love. Well, you can unwrap super fun science, technology and art projects for kids with KiwiCo from nine different subscription lines for different ages and categories far beyond elementary school. There's truly something for every kid. When you give KiwiCo, you're gifting so much more than a small box of toys. You're giving the gift of discovery through hands-on experiences and giving kids the tools to learn more about topics that they love from dinosaurs to rocket ships to even culinary skills. My two boys are nine and seven, and they received their KiwiCo crate and were so thrilled. They had heard about KiwiCo, had been begging to get KiwiCo before, and it was such a special experience. It was fun for all of us. It was a really great way to engage them in learning and discovery. And my seven-year-old, he received a mechanical sweeper that was perfect for his developmental ability and level, just challenging enough, but not too challenging to be discouraging. My nine-year-old got a domino machine where he was able to do some engineering type of project and it was it made him feel so successful and it made him so happy to know that he could accomplish something that looked really intimidating at first. KiwiCo crates are literally a box of whoa, awesome delivered monthly. You will see your kids' faces light up when they open up their crates. The day the KiwiCo box arrives will be your kids' favorite day of the month. There's something for kids of all ages, from infants and preschoolers to teens and beyond. Kids are discovering everything from the science of magic to engineering. Like I said, a domino machine, that was 
incredible for my nine-year-old to be able to do that and so much more. There's no commitment so you can pause or cancel anytime. You're not going to want to though because it truly is so much fun for the whole family. It's designed by experts. KiwiCo projects are designed by a team of educators, makers, engineers, and even rocket scientists who brainstorm hundreds of ideas to create the most exciting, age-appropriate, and educational projects. But I promise you don't need to be a rocket scientist to be able to help your kids put this together. These are real engineering science and art projects with high quality materials. You will love it. This is truly a gift that will keep on giving. Unwrap more than a gift. Discover hands-on fun with KiwiCo. Get your first month free on any crate line at kiwico.com spark. That's your first month free at kiwico.com spark. Now back to this topic of anxiety being maybe a tool to help us to take notice what are some ways that that we can connect what where is anxiety connecting us the first thing is with ourselves you know anxiety is a misfire of the fear system fear is a very healthy emotion it keeps you protected it's the fight or flight system right you have adrenaline it's ready it's aim and it's boom and the minute you need it it's there and if you don't have it you probably wouldn't be alive. I mean, it's the kind of thing that babies, neonates are tested for even to see if they have a fear system. Anxiety is the exact same, but it's when you don't need it. Now, recognizing if you're getting anxious, that's not such a bad thing. That can lead us to self-compassion, to understand, okay, my body had a misfire. Like, so maybe I have to be kinder to myself. I'm not as perfect as my... (laughs) I don't function as well as my computer, right? My computer's faster. It knows more than I do. I'm, I'm a human. I'm not supposed to be perfect. And can I love? Can I connect with? Can I appreciate my strengths, even though my emotions might fluctuate from time to time? Mm-hmm. So that's really in many ways at the core. Like, can we accept our imperfections? Yeah. And that's hard because we do live in a society that's all about going and doing and being more. And then you add in the social media factors of what everybody else is doing. And I mean, that complicates things. It complicates things to the point that why is our society the most anxious in the history of mankind? (laughs) This is true. This is why we don't, we don't, uh, we don't laugh at ourselves. If Mm -hmm. I feel anxious sometimes I'm like, cut, there you go again, David. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. You know, here's the anxiety expert feeling anxious and it's funny. It is. And and that's great. Like it doesn't, it doesn't throw me off my horse. Yeah. But that took training. That took a lot of time and a lot of practice of, of going to bed and exercising and, 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 you know, more practicing. Like when I feel anxious, those are the days that I'm not going to be pushing it all four cylinders at work. Yeah. So I'm not running on all four cylinders to begin with. So it's time for self-compassion, self-acceptance. And when we use anxiety to get there, it can transform our relationship with ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's such an interesting, it really is a reframe of how we even just talk about it to ourselves instead of going, Oh, you're anxious again. You know, cause like I'm a, I'm a 
I'm an achiever. I'm a goer and a doer. And so I get annoyed when I have unpleasant symptoms. Uh They just annoy me. I want them to go away. But instead, and and for example, here's a perfect example, the middle of the night wake-ups where your brain is like doing all sorts of weird things. And all of a sudden you're thinking about something you're supposed to do the next day. It doesn't even make sense. All right. So what I've started doing is going, huh, that's interesting. I'm awake again. People wake up. That's what brains do. Brains wake us up sometimes in the middle of the night. And that has improved my sleep. I go back to sleep so much easier. I, weird? I mean, so that's a thing. Just it's not weird, it. but I, let me ask you a question. In addition yeah. to improving your sleep, how has it changed your relationship with yourself? Well, it just makes me more curious. It makes me kinder. It goes back to self-compassion. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you say, I got a pointed question for you. I okay. feel like you're the host and I'm the guest, <laughs> but if I may, okay. <laughs> because I've been looking forward to meeting you for a long yeah. time. Do you think those midnight wake-ups or other struggles that you might've had that do you think in some ways those have changed your relationship with yourself for the better? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Almost all of my patients say the same thing, mm-hmm. but I have to get them at a quiet moment because it's not the kind of thing they put on Instagram. It's not the kind of thing that they put on Facebook. <laughs> right. It's not like anxiety sucks and it does, mm-hmm. but it can also be parlayed into enhancing our self-acceptance, our self-connection, our self-love, our self-compassion. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we take that as the message, it's it helps us to thrive. Yeah. And even beyond that, which is probably a, a nice lead in as well, but even beyond that, it does allow us to be more accepting of other people when uh, they're struggling. So let's talk about that. <laughs> that's definitely the case. Now, th- in two ways, the one is our relationship with others and the other is others people's relationship with us. Mm. In terms of our relationship with others, I, I have found my anxious patients to be s- especially socially anxious, social anxious and mm. social shyness, the, the shy, socially, socially anxious types. They're so exquisitely sensitive to the emotions of other people. Hmm. It's almost like when you've been to the depths of despair, you don't want anyone else to suffer the same way. Yeah. Yeah. That is very interesting. And there, and there's a safety there. It creates a, a, an aspect of safety for everybody involved. And a kindness. Mm-hmm. There's like a, an effect of like, oh my God, I really have felt uncomfortable before. I panicked, I've struggled and I would not want, you know, when I'll tell you, you know, I see a lot of sort of CEO type folks, in, mm-hmm. especially in the New York office and my Boston office of Center for Anxiety in, in New York downtown. The folks, the the, pa- the patients who come in high powered, you know, lots of accoutrements and, uh, you know, got the car waiting for them outside. I'm serious, like the works. <laughs> the ones who have been through pain themselves are kinder to their staff they're nicer to me. They're nicer to, they say hello to, you know, my administrative staff when they walk in, they don't contest, you know, they're this, that, and the other, they don't complain as much. And people who have not been there, you know, they're there for a family member. Like that's my family member's problem. I don't have any problems. Right. They're jerks. They're, they're, they're mm-hmm. hard to do it. They're not nice. It's, there's something that softens us when we lean into an emotional pain to our connection with other people and it can make us just just nicer it's an amazing fact that nobody speaks about i i i I haven't seen a lot of people talk about this in the literature so yeah that's a good question so would you say that 
for the people who are still battling themselves with their anxiety and with this uh, feeling about the anxiety, it, it closes them off to being able to connect in that way? Yes, 100%. I think that when we when we lean into the feelings, if we are having that pain and we try to shove it away to the sides, using self-medication all the time or through substance and alcohol use, or through just denying it flat out with avoidance, you know, any of those strategies are not going to be effective. Um, and then we miss out on the opportunity that anxiety presents. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I do want to ask though, because I know so many people are dealing with anxiety, but we also have very high levels of stress. So what's the difference and is there a difference and how do they feed off of each other with just stress, overwhelm and anxiety? Great. Yes. Stress is slightly different from anxiety. It feels the same, but it's a little bit different. Stress is essentially an imbalance between demands and resources. Hmm. So when my demands are high and my resources are low, that scale being out of balance will create symptoms of anxiety, which is really stress. I've had never, numerous patients who come to me and say, I'm so anxious. I'm so anxious. I'm like, you're actually not anxious. You're stressed. Mm-hmm. And all we have to do is recalibrate and reset that balance to get their demands down and their resources up or both. And things change for them. And in that regard, anxiety can also be a blessing and a a catalyst of thriving because if we take it as a signal canary in the coal mine there's something wrong here we have to increase our resources and decrease our demands i've seen patients miss out on all sorts of health complications that Mm -hmm. chronic stress because they're like got super anxious they had to take care of it they rebalanced and recalibrated and uh reconnected with others and they're in a much better place because of it Yeah. Yeah. Now we talked about sleep. What's another just practical rebalancing tool that you recommend for people when they're struggling? Well, I'm going to give you an interpersonal one because we were talking more about your relationships with others. Let me ask you a question also. Sorry, I keep asking you a question. No, it's fine. It's fine. The the people in your life who you're closest to, are those the ones who you can open up to about your anxiety or the ones who you have this, you know, you're pretending that everything's all right with? Yeah. I, I mean, I can open up. It is hard though, because <laughs> I tend hard. to be the one that other people go to sometimes. So it's difficult. <laughs> it's hard. It is hard. But when you do, what does that do to your connection? Oh, it increases it. No yeah. question. Yeah. Everyone has the same answer. Mm-hmm. We all at the end of the day really want to open up about how we truly feel to at least one or two other people. Doesn't have to be our public persona. Right. Doesn't have to be hundred people or 10 people even, or five, but one or two people, those relationships are among the best predictors, the best predictors. Do you have a single friend that you can open up to? Uh, in college, in, like among college students, they don't usually have that. It's very sad. Mm. Surrounded by people and having to be on all the time and not really being able yeah. to be yourself. That's one of the main reasons why we have an anxiety epidemic today. The minute mm. I start to feel anxious, I can't show anyone. I can't tell anyone. There's no one to go to. I'm alone. Mm. I'm actually not alone. I'm with everyone else, but I'm lonely. I'm lonely. That's not, that's not healthy. We're not supposed to be that way. We can use our anxiety to connect with others when I can be tr- totally vulnerable. If I can cry on my wife's shoulder and when, and when I do, mm-hmm. and there's no question we have more into emotional intimacy that week, that day. Yeah. I think about that for people that in a marriage situation, I mean, that's, that's very true because I think 
well, and this is again, not about me, this is about you, but grow like college, perfect example. I never thought about it that way. I didn't feel like I could be my true self with anybody else. Most and so, don't. and it took probably, I mean, even it probably took me a good 13 years of marriage to fully open up to my husband. I mean, what does that say about the way that we so quickly shut down that ability to share because of the fear, because of whatever it is. So that's really interesting. I think 13 years is probably on the, on the good side. Like a lot of people <laughs> take them and they never open up. Yeah. Yeah. People are calloused today, hmm. covered over and masked mm -hmm. as opposed to using their anxiety to connect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause we all want to be okay. We all, all want to look like we're okay. Right. We all want to seem okay. Cause Oh, there's so many complicating factors. This, this is really good. I'd love to know. Okay. And this probably gets into that third portion of your book. How does anxiety enhance spirituality? That fascinates me. Sure. Happy to talk about it. Well, people have, I'll say at the outset, people have many paths to spirituality and some come from more religious standpoint, come from some come many come from a non-religious standpoint. And either way though, there's a lot of shared common commonalities across the board such as the importance of certain um, virtues, of humility, of acceptance, of um, not trying to force things. And anxiety teaches us all of the above and more, of finding meaning and purpose and focusing on what's meaning, mm -hmm. uh, what's meaning filled, as opposed to what we, you know, it, it, when, you know, anxiety occurs when we can't, tolerate not knowing what's going to happen next. Hmm. But let's be honest. How often do you really know the future, Aaron? Never. <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Especially like, didn't, didn't the pandemic teach me that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> isn't the weather teaching me that? Mm -hmm. Climate change? I don't know. Like, if it started snowing tomorrow or if we're 80 degrees, I live in Boston. So mm -hmm. if it started snowing tomorrow or we went up to 80 degrees, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah. <laughs> Similar in Texas, actually, funnily enough. True. <laughs> yeah. Didn't, ice, didn't you have ice storms last year? Yes. At like really bad ones that we've never had before. So yes. Yeah. I mean, and that I can remember. And speaking of Texas, can you believe Texas Rangers are... <laughs> That was the World Series. I, I attribute that to that? me watching. It's the first time I've really ever watched baseball. And I, I attribute that to, I'm the lucky charm there. But anyway. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who would have predicted that one ever? Yeah. And yeah. here you go, heading to the World mm -hmm. Series. So, you know, that's the point is that as humans, <laughs> you know, we know so much less than we think. Mm -hmm. Anxiety teaches that. It not only teaches us that fact, it helps us to, to accept it. Yeah. To accept our lack of control and knowledge. And I'm just a human being at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. That we and are limited. Yeah. I'm so limited. <laughs> I'm so yeah. limited. Doesn't matter, Harvard faculty, you know, treating mm -hmm. a thousand patients a year. All my credentials at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. What do they mean? Not a whole lot. Not yeah. a whole lot. We're all yeah. in together. And the more I feel, the more I lean into those feelings as opposed to covering them up and pretending that I never struggle, 
it's it just makes it worse. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And would you say that people who, I mean, just going along with connecting to other people, but maybe people who are connecting to something greater than themselves, higher power, whatever, you know, sure. what does that do to enhance even the ability to, I don't want to say manage anxiety, but to accept what comes and goes? Yeah, it's a good question. For those who do believe and who even engage through, let's say, prayer, we were speaking about how anxiety can enhance spiritual connection and all sort of reinforce that um there's a sometimes when people feel really broken and really unmoored by what's going on around them by circumstances by stressors that they're facing that can i've seen it and i've, I've experienced it personally that can be poured into prayer andrew carnegie actually hmm. said that uh worry the solution to worry is prayer Interesting, <laughs> famous words from the uh, beginning of the beginning of the 1900s. Um, I do think that in turn, when people do that, that can enhance our acceptance and our humility, which can then tamp down the feelings of anxiety. But the the anxiety, I think, is calling in many ways for us to move towards more of a spiritual evolution. Yeah, yeah. wherever we are, from whatever point we stand at. So, so anxiety could be that drive to connect in that way as well. Yes. With yeah. ourselves through greater acceptance with others through being really vulnerable and opening up to those trusted people and spiritually to be able to get to a better place of acceptance hmm. and maybe even enhancing our spiritual connection, um, yeah. choose to do so. Yeah, that, that is absolutely such a different take than a lot of times what we've heard. So for somebody who's listening to this and who's going, okay, yeah, but my anxiety is really debilitating yeah. and I I'm drowning in it. What do yep. you say to that person? Great question. Firstly, if it's impossible right now and you don't have the skills, it could be because you haven't learned the skills or it also could be, could be because your anxiety is too high to be able to manage that. I have no problems with people using pharmacology, or other forms of clinical intervention to take their anxiety down to a certain level where they're able to then use that level to enhance their connection. But if your goal is to get rid of your anxiety completely, you're headed in the wrong direction. So even if your anxiety is at an eight out of 10 or a nine out of 10, if your goal is to get to zero, I'm sorry, I don't think you're gonna get there. But if your goal is to get to a four or a five or even a six, and then to start to implement these strategies and to learn them, I think that that's a very fine approach. And that's often what we yeah. do. More than half of my patients are using some form of medication, but I'm very careful to teach them to use psychoeducation, that the goal is not to get rid of your symptoms. The goal is to take it down to a mid, even high mid level that you're able to then use that anxiety to in a positive way. I think that's really helpful because that's not often what we hear. No. We hear that we're just, uh, if I can just, and that's what I thought, you know, I was put on medication at a very young age. I was 15 when I was first put on antidepressants. And I was just like, well, I'll just take this and I won't have to deal with it and it'll go yeah. away. But my depression was fueled by trauma. So that doesn't go away. <laughs> and no. how much of anxiety, I mean, that's a whole kind of separate conversation, but a lot of our anxiety is fueled by something like trauma as well. It can be, it sure can be. I have a patient who I met with this week. I think you'll appreciate this from your own experience. She self-medicated 
from the age, she was very, very badly physically abused by mm. a family member at age five, six, very young and mm. almost legal. Like he almost killed her. Uh -huh. And from age 12, 13, 14, she was stuffing her anxiety down mm -hmm. with self-medication, with sexual escapades, with all mm -hmm. sorts of things. Just to... She finally went to rehab after working with me for a while. Thank God she went to rehab and she's clean. Wow. And now she's consumed with all this anxiety. Finally, wow. she's experiencing it. Yep. Right. Finally, she's allowing, and she says it's the healthiest thing ever. She's leaning into it. So that trauma, wow. the effects of the trauma, she never allowed herself to feel it, but now she's finally getting there. Hmm. And uh, yeah. And so being able to work through that in a safe space and as a, way to go, okay, I know that this is a normal human response. It's a survival response too. And what to do with it. Yeah. I think that's yes. really powerful. That's a great example. Had I been through what she went through, I'd be a lot worse. Yeah. She has a lot more inner strength than I ever will. That's incredible. All yeah. my patients do. Truth is yeah. all my patients. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People. That's awesome. Okay. So my daughter who I mentioned this before, she is yeah. a psychology student. She's in her developmental psychology class as we speak, but she wanted to know what do you believe is the least known contributor to anxiety? So first of all, and I said this to you before we were on the air, I think your daughter's got a great bright future because she, <laughs> uh, she's asking a bomb question, bomb question. Um, I think it's our interpretation of anxiety as an indication that something's wrong with me and the need which has been reinforced through the medical establishment, through a bunch of cultural factors to get rid of that anxiety completely and to pretend that everything is okay, that increases our stress level and dumps more adrenaline into our systems, which literally creates a cascade, a role, uh, a cycle of anxiety. So that interpretation to me is the least identified factor that directly contributes to the anxiety epidemic. I actually think it's at the center of the anxiety epidemic. And in many ways, that's what my book is all about. Yeah. Do you, do you see things trending in a different direction? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. My, my crystal bra broke this morning. Okay. <laughs> so unfortunately I'm not able to ask yesterday. I would have been able to, but today it's not working. <laughs> If I had to make make a guess, I things have I think things are going to get a lot worse before they get better. Mm -hmm. I do think there's some glimmers of hope on the horizon that you know there's a, a little more recognition of overdiagnosis because of the, what happened with the opiate epidemic. Yeah, I think we recognize now that just throwing pain management medications when people are in pain is very is toxic. It's just toxic and it can create a lot of problems. And I think when we throw anxiety medications at anxiety, we're seeing those effects. Unfortunately, I think it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. But we'll have to see. We'll have to see how things go. Well, I am hopeful. Having this conversation is hopeful. And sure. having resources like your book and the Center for Anxiety, I, I feel like that, I say, I feel like, I believe that it, that it, things are trending in a positive direction because resources like yours exist. 
So I'll take I'll the hope. <laughs> I'll take the hope and I'll take the light. You know, and I do know that ultimately, I do think there will be greater meaning, greater sense of personal, interpersonal, and ultimately spiritual connection from our mental health epidemic mm-hmm. that we're going through. Um, so I, you know, hopefully we're trending upward to be able to take the opportunities and ultimately thrive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you my favorite question to ask, and that is, you know, the name of the show is sparking wholeness. So if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be? Stop trying to not feel anxious. (laughs) It's going to happen. You're a human being. You're going to feel anxious and uncomfortable sometimes. And it doesn't mean that something's broken. It doesn't mean it might mean you have to do something. You might have to get educated. You might have to find ways to connect more. I'm not saying to ignore it. And I'm not saying to just resign yourself to a life of anxiety, but it doesn't mean that something's diseased or broken. So the first step towards wholeness is accepting that we are not whole and that's all right. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So where can people get your book and and learn more about you and what you're doing and all that? Yeah, very happy to hear from people personally if they have uh, feedback about the book. And uh, uh, Thriving with Anxiety, Nine Tools to Make Your Anxiety Work for You is available anywhere books are sold, including Amazon, um, Barnes & Noble. And the audiobook is available as well, which is pretty cool, as oh, well great. as uh, Kindle and, and all that kind of stuff. My author's website is dhrossmarin, R-O-S-M-A-R-I-N.com. And for those who are in the New York or Massachusetts area, or in Princeton, New Jersey, and are looking for services, centerforanxiety.org is my clinic. Um, and I love to hear from people. So reach out, let me know what you think. I'm also, you know, social media, tag me, say hello. Great. What, what is your social media handles? What are those? Usually D.H. Ross Marin, at D-H-R-O-S-M-A-R-I-N, uh, pretty much across the board. Awesome. Well, I will put that in the show notes. I am just grateful to have this time and to have this discussion. I thank you for taking the time to share your expertise with us and what you have spent a lot of time working on. And so I really appreciate it. Me too. It's an honor to meet you. Thanks for everything you're doing uh, for the world and glad to be a part of it. Have a wonderful rest of your day. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.